episode 324 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we are back uh, with our first Western-developed RPG in, in several months. This is a very JRPG-focused podcast, but we are RPG fan, not JRPG fan, and we are here to discuss and debate and celebrate Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, a 2003 RPG that started out on the OG Xbox and eventually was ported to a couple other places, uh, including uh, very recently to iOS, Switch, uh, other places I'm forgetting, and also recently had had an announced remake that I think is coming out later this year. Uh, I don't think we have a date on it yet, but we are talking about the OG Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I've said OG twice in the first one minute of the podcast. That's a bad look, but what's a good look are my two special guests, starting with Jonathan Logan. Hello, everyone. And Audra Bowling. Hello. Now, Jono and Audra, this is not the case for the two of you, because I know both of you have reviews of KOTOR on the main website, but this is my first time playing the game. Uh, Let's go into personal intros a little bit, and I'll go first. Uh, I knew of KOTOR when it came out. A lot of my friends really liked it. As as an enjoyer of Star Wars, I was very interested in it. it. I hadn't really played a Bioware game at the time, except watching uh, uh, one specific friend play the beginning of Baldur's Gate 2 a lot, Uh, but I didn't play it because I didn't have a good gaming PC or an Xbox uh, for the entire 2000s. And then in the early 2010s, when I did build a pretty good PC, um, I tried to get KOTOR to run on Steam, but I ran into graphics card issues and I couldn't make it past the opening mission Um, for for technical reasons, not gameplay reasons. Uh, Many years later, now, I'm still interested in playing KOTOR. This podcast was the perfect opportunity to do so, and because I was still worried about the Steam version, I uh, I got the Switch version on a slight discount. I think I think it was like eleven bucks instead of fifteen or something. And it's it's an eleven dollars. I do not regret one iota because I'm having a very very good time uh, around what I assume is about the halfway point of the game. But uh, Audra, I know you also played the Switch version of KOTOR. A few months ago, in in the I don't know December uh, November range, I and you're playing it again for this podcast. So, uh, what was your experience like that first time playing the game, and has anything changed now? I really enjoyed it. I um, I hadn't played it at all when it first came out, but the Switch gave me a perfect opportunity to try it, and I ended up really really liking it. So much so that I decided to play it again for this podcast. And it really hasn't changed much since I still enjoy it. I, I, I assume that the game itself hasn't changed for you. Uh, but like, did you make any different choices or approach it differently the second time around? Not really. I kind of rushed through my first playthrough, so I'm just taking it more slowly this time. Cool. And uh, uh, Jono, I think... You got into KOTOR before Audra or I did. So what was your previous KOTOR experience like? And what small things are you maybe doing differently this time? Uh, It's kind of funny because I used to be a massive Star Wars nerd back when I was a teenager. Uh, Like I read a lot of the, uh, I read a lot of the the books and things like that. Like, uh, um, oh God, uh, Heir to the Empire, that trilogy and a few others. But I completely missed this when I was a teenager. Um, and uh, if I recall correctly, RPG Fan got an offer to review the Knights of the Old Republic uh, boss fight books that was coming out. A guy named Alex Kane was writing the book. And uh, I 
offered to review the book and interview Alex. And then I was like, well, since I played the game for the first time, I might as well review it. So I reviewed it. Um, and I had just a absolute ball with it. Loved it. It was, I thought it was the best star Wars story that I had, uh, experienced in a long, long, long time. This was in 2019. And, uh, yeah. So I, I dug really deep into the game back then and tried to see everything I could on the light side. Um, and yeah, when you announced this podcast, I was like, ooh, another opportunity to play game. Uh, so yeah, that was pretty awesome. I, I, I was a big fan. I think that this is a an amazing game, as we'll dig into in a few minutes. Uh, this is my first time playing, as I said before, but my uh, impressions of R is very, very positive. But maybe we should talk a little bit more about um, my relationship with Star Wars and also Bioware and and, uh, and follow up with both, with both of you a- after me. Um, I think I mentioned before, I... Uh, I have a memory of with one of my elementary and middle school friends playing the the beginning of Baldur's Gate two like multiple times. He he was really into D and D and Western RPGs, and I, and I was not. Uh, he was also the same friend that introduced me to Diablo. Uh, again, this is over twenty years ago, um, but uh, but he really revered Bioware, and uh, and I so I, that's how I knew of them. They're a, of course a um, very successful Canadian deve- developer from the Edmonton area that has been making games for well over 25 years and uh, and have a reputation of having just very, very well-written games with a lot of gameplay choice and story choice. I, 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 just to be just to paint in very broad strokes, if <laughs> correct me if you disagree with any of that. Uh, so so I, I knew of them, but they were in this Western RPG world that I, I, that I also sort of connected to D&D because the Baldur's Gate uh, games are based on a D&D world um, that, that, I, that I wasn't really a part of. And then Star Wars comes out and Jade Empire comes out, or I should say KOTOR comes out and Jade Empire comes out. And both of them look really, really good, cool to me. But I, I finally play my first Bioware game many years later when I had get a PS3 and play Dragon Age. And then back to back to back to back, I play all three. I play Dragon Age, then the Mass Effect games, then I think Dragon Age Inquisition, then Jade Empire. Then I make a very ill-advised uh, purchase of um, Star, uh, excuse me, Sonic the Hedgehog Dark Brotherhood or Dark Chronicles. I don't even remember what it is, but it's a like like the one bad Bioware game is one I went out of my way to find. <laughs> but um, I, so in general, I am a bio, a casual Bioware fan who has played Mass Effect and Dragon Age and Jade Empire, and finally had the right opportunity to play uh, Knights of the Old Republic for this podcast. And vis a vis my re- relationship with Star Wars, I you know, I grew up watching those movies with friends and family, like many many people did, and I really enjoyed them. Like. I, I would not call myself a big Star Wars nerd, but I have seen all all of the main series movies and the Ewok movies, I guess, and and uh, and and Solo. Um, but but I'm but I'm not like a mega fan. Like when a Star Wars thing, big thing happens, I will watch it and I will usually enjoy it. I, I and I and I read I did read one series of YA Star Wars fiction um, when I was in my early teens, probably around two thousand or so. Uh, but but again, I I, I don't. I, I don't really thirst after Star Wars. I don't. I I don't read a ton of the extended universe stuff. I don't have any figure uh, figurines, but I, I am a casual Star Wars enjoyer, and that is more than enough to enjoy what Knights of the Old Republic has to offer. I'm I'm really in, uh, liking this game so far. So, uh, uh, Audra, what's like? What's your previous Bioware Star Wars experience that you are willing to discuss? Well, I heard about Bioware beforehand, but I didn't really start playing any of their games until the Mass Effect trilogy on PS3. 
and after that I ended up playing all of the Dragon Age games and I really wanted to try Knights of the Old Republic and Jade Empire and I have them now and I've only played Knights of the Old Republic but it was an awesome experience. My Star Wars, I'm quite a big fan of the films and the TV shows and I've read a few of the books but nothing from the recent stuff. It's interesting. I like a lot of the older Star Wars mythos, but haven't really meshed with some of Disney's choices on that. <laughs> oh, we, we don't need to go into uh, deep discussion on Disney's recent choices, but I, I think that it helps to to Let's at least set the internet on fire, Mike. <laughs> no, no thanks. I do like the Mandalorian and stuff. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the recent TV shows, but that is not the fault of Disney or Star Wars or Mandalorian or anything. It's the fault of just having to, of there being too many video games and TV shows and movies in general. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to sound like a, an elitist gatekeeper here, but I think it helps to know a little bit about Star Wars going into KOTOR. Like it would be hard to jump into KOTOR without at least a vague idea of what Jedi and Sith and lightsabers are. Yeah, I don't think they really spend too much time explaining that. Yeah, there's there's at least an implication that you know a little bit about Star Wars going in, which, which is, of course, like well below the bar for the three of us to clear. But uh, like, I, I think that this game would be hard to play without a little bit of Star Wars background knowledge but speaking of background knowledge uh jana what's your experience with bioware and star wars you went into it a little bit already with bioware it's almost non-existent um my interest is greatly raised because i got the mass effect uh trilogy for christmas uh so that's in my steam library and that's going to get played at some point especially now that i've been playing kotor and as i understand it kotor sort of it sort of works almost like a prototype for Mass Effect and what they do in the future. Yes, um, yes. So I'm I'm pretty Sorry, excited. Good. I'm pretty excited to see where they take the Kotor gameplay, and if not the universe, at least a that kind of universe, and move it forward. Um, in terms of Star Wars, yeah, like, like I said, I've you know as a teenager, I read a lot of the books, a lot of the novels. Um, really big fan of the original trilogy. Uh, not such a huge fan of the prequel trilogy. Uh, the current trilogy is we're not going to light the internet on fire, so let's not talk about that. Um, some of the cartoons are amazing. Uh, I love Rebels. Rebels is a great show. Rebels is great. I, I have seen uh, more than a trivial amount of Clone Wars, and I, I, I really enjoyed what I saw. Clone Wars has is, is been on my like to-watch backlog because I enjoyed Rebels so much. In many ways, Rebels becomes a sequel to Clone Wars, but I have seen a lot of things about... like. Obi-Wan Kenobi being like the biggest sassy bitch of the galaxy <laughs> in that show, which is something that I just love as a characterization. So yeah, that's something I'd like to see. Mentioning that your interest in Mass Effect was piqued by KOTOR is extremely fair. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Mass Effect or Dragon Age on this podcast. Maybe maybe they should get their own podcasts, oh, in fact. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we did do Retro Encounter episodes on Mass Effect 1 a couple of years ago, but if I were to replay the Mass Effect trilogy sometime this year and do an episode of Mass Effect Two, don't don't be shocked if that happens. But um, like like I, even though I know obviously Kotor came first, I can feel the 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 Mass Effect DNA in here. Like <laughs> I, like mm -hmm. I, uh, playing this when I again I played the Mass Effect trilogy in 2011, 2012 range. Um, like and and uh, Dragon Age sort of uh, I think I played Dragon Age one in 2010 and then the the next two uh, right when they came out. I, I can see the 
the the share the shared structure the connective tissue between these different eras of bioware they 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 are different and different eras of bioware to be sure but um but you, like the the similarities and the uh and, and how they f- often feel the same is very very palpable mm-hmm. as i understand it it's very similar in terms of uh what happened with uh dnd how they lost the ip and they created dragon age which is again very inspired by those earlier games but is their own thing it's I, I, th- I think it's a departure from D&D, both in content, because, again, Baldur's Gate was based on Forgotten Realms uh, D&D. I, th- I think Neverwinter Nights was as well. They lost the license, but they also, I think, they wanted to move away from things like dice rolls. Like, because uh, KOTOR is a game that really does feel like a video game D&D ad- adaptation. They um, yeah, d- use the D20. Yeah, it, it uses a D20. Uh, it, it shows damage ranges. And uh, and rules for attack and evasion and initiative, um, different things like like armor saves and persuasion checks are referred to in D and D parlance. In Dragon Age and Mass Effect, they move away from all of those things. They'll, they'll they will they've they've become more video gamey. Uh, they like things aren't expressed as dice rolls, but instead more just really specific damage values and armor values. And and again, Mass Effect is a third person shooter for the most part, or well, it varies between third person and first person shooter depending on your uh, exact play style. And uh, and Dragon Age can be more of a top down isometric view or a third person game depending on again which system you're playing on and your choices. But they, they've generally moved away from D&D style dice roll mechanics and more into proprietary mechanics. And Mass Effect really feels like Bioware building their own sci-fi universe. And Dragon Age really feels like Bioware building their own high fantasy universe. And I would say that they were mostly successful in doing so. Because again, again, the, the first three Dragon Age games and the first three Mass Effect games, I love all of them, some more than others. But I, I think that those are, that they're like that in a way that is very successful peak bioware and kotor yes. and, and kotor is early bioware that is definitely on the way to um to, to what eventually became mass effect and dragon age and the, the less we talk about anthem and uh mass effect andromeda the better <laughs> but uh but but again like this andromeda is andromeda had moments I, I I own Andromeda because I, I bought a copy for something like five dollars when it was very cheap. But for some reason, I um uh, the I can't download it. Uh, it it's, oh. it, it's it's unable to run on my PS Five. This was and this was not ter- this was not terribly long ago. I think this was over the summer. So there's a there's there's some issue for me even a- being able to run Andromeda. I only know it by reputation. I didn't mind it so much, but it's definitely weaker than the original trilogy uh spoiler alert i do not think we are going to have a retro encounter episode on mass effect andromeda in the near <laughs> in the near future but uh oh, stay, darn. Yeah, staying in the present <laughs> knights of the old republic um and uh and, and bioware has since been acquired by ea I, I think that happened sort of around the rollout of dragon age inquisition maybe a little bit after after that but and uh, and a lot of fans have blamed the uh, like Bioware's lack of recent success on EA, which is you know a little bit like like fans blaming Enix for any any misstep Square Enix had in the two thousands, <laughs> which again is is a is a, a load of bull. But uh, but it is true that I think that Bioware has um ha- has not been quite as universally beloved and embraced as they were in the Kotor Jade Empire Dragon Age Mass Effect days. Yeah. That was a lot of soliloquizing about uh, Bioware and Star Wars. Um, let's talk about KOTOR for real this time. Um, 
you you as you do in many Western RPGs and many Bioware games, you design your uh, main character from a couple of preset options. This is not uh, this is not a level of customization that we that we're accustomed to. You know, playing it playing in the 2020s or 2010s. But I, I think I think you have something like 16 to 20 uh, preset appearances, both male and female, for your main character, uh, and then you wake up from a, on a sleeping pod. In a in a space station that is under attack, and you're uh, and you're made to um, evacuate with great urgency in your opening mission, uh, and uh, and with your protagonist, you get to um, you know put starting points in the in six key stats, which should be very familiar to Dungeons and Dragons players, and uh, and you choose a starting class and and put points into uh, a f- some specific skills that are not really D and D related and very much more Star Wars related. So, uh, Audra and Jano, whomever would like to go first, uh, tell us a little bit about how you set up your protagonist. Uh, well, I, first of all, wanted to come up with, like, the perfect Star Wars name, uh, and I was cycling through all of the options, and then one came up that is not the perfect Star Wars name, but I could not, I, it just made me laugh, which was, uh, Kale Cast, which just sounds like a podcast for vegans, uh, the Kale Cast, and that made me laugh very hard, and I, I picked that name. Uh, and then I pick Scoundrel as my starting class because I, you know, I like Scoundrels. They're fun. Uh, also, I, whenever I play an RPG like this, I tend to be very um, uh, dialogue heavy. So I wanted to, and I, I, I like stealth. Stealth is something that does not work very well in this game, unfortunately. But I wanted to, persuasion checks and things like that. So yeah, I pick Scoundrel. I picked the randomest Latin terms I could think of, which was Solfiello, because I thought it sounded very Star Warsy. Is that Sun Sky or Sun Cerulean? Yes, yeah. Sun Sky. <laughs> and it, so it, I ended up doing Scout for her, and I used a lot of the persuasion skills, and I kind of wanted to be more of a mediator when I could. Uh, I also I also went Scout. Um, because I sort of went into the into the game thinking, okay, I'll I'll pick the the middle value class so I can resolve some things with dialogue, some things with uh with with gunfire, which I th- I think um basically worked out for me. And I I, uh, I wanted to make sure that my persuade skill was always high because I know that it, whenever I wanted to persuade, I wanted I wanted to you know make that make that check and not fail that check. Yes, I always hate failing. <laughs> but 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 also not not abandon uh, uh, combat stuff. And in, in case, and listeners, in case you've forgotten or uh, or are, are unaware, your three starting classes are scout, scoundrel, and soldier. Three S's. Where, where scoundrel gets the most specialized skills, so they have more points to do into things like 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 repairing m- machines, using computers, um, uh, per- persuasion. Uh, what else is there? Um, disar- disarming mines, things like that. And uh, and also they so they'll generally have better means of resol- of resolving things without direct combat. Soldier has fewer skill points but more feat points. Feats being sort of battle skills and attacks, uh, things like you know being able to wear heavier armor, um, uh, better better gun techniques and close combat techniques, um, and 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 so on. While sc- while scout is in the middle of those two. Uh, and so, so they'll get more feats than a scoundrel, fewer skill points than a soldier. And each of those classes also has a few special unique things. Like the, the soldier starts out being able to equip armor and use a bunch of weapons. The scoundrel has access to, um, to stealth skills and, uh, and sort of extra damage from behind that the other two classes don't. While scout 
I think they are, they're able to start wearing um, bio implants from the beginning and have a few sort of uh, defensive bonuses that are that are very nifty and nice to have. So uh, in general, I went in starting interested in being a jack of all trades, but by the time I start using Jedi powers and lightsabers, I wanted to go full lightsaber. So <laughs> when the, when the second job cla- uh, job choice happens later in the game. I went with the more uh, uh, battle-tested option, uh, but it, but in general, you have this opening mission that's basically a series of tutorial levels. Um, the guy, the guy accompanying you, who's so forgettable, I've already forgotten his name. Uh, do we yeah, know who that is? Unfortunately, yeah, our, our R.I.P. soldier guy that helps you escape the space station. Um, he, he tells you a little bit about what's going on. There's an ongoing war between the Republic, which is a you know Jedi-aligned uh, a, a, a sort of multi-planet um organization that is that that is crumbling but not but is general not not necessarily exploitative or evil-minded that is that is facing a rebellion from sith and uh, sith being you know dark users of the force the force being the sort of uh the the general magic slash psychic slash vaguely defined uh it uh pervasive energy that if someone is force sensitive are able to use the force like magic powers if you're familiar with Star Wars you you already know what the force and jedi and sith are but uh but in, in general jedi are users of the force aligned with um aligned with stability and calmness while sith are users of the force uh, uh, associated with emotion but also also cruelty and and vague and vague evil I think just basically white knights and black knights. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it, it's it's pretty binary. Like a lot of people that that care about this mythology a lot will will really emphasize emphasize the nuances that make Jedi less good and and uh, and Sith less evil. But it, it's overall a pretty binary karmic syst- karma system or good evil system. But uh, in the setting of this game. There were two Jedi Knights named Revan and Malak who are pretty, who were uh, pretty young. They, uh, but they made some kind of discovery or went off the beaten path a little bit in some way that caused both of them to rapidly fall to the death to the dark side and build an army with incredible speed and uh, and stage a rebellion against the uh, against the, uh, the the Republic and the Jedi. And that's a rebellion that's become more of an invasion because it, lo- it looks like that the Sith are pretty superior in terms of uh, military force at, at the at the time of this game. So, so there is a real danger of Revan and Malak conquering the uh, conquering the Republic and eliminating the Jedi. But then a an expedition of Jedi uh, went out to take them Revan and Malak on directly, that resulted in the death of Revan and the and only one survivor of the expedition, uh, Bastila Shan. So in this uh, opening mission um bastila was on the same space station as you were and the and your goal is to escape the ba- the space station and and get into contact with bastila who is again a a, a a young but very powerful uh jedi knight and you successfully escape the space station and land on a planet called terrace and uh and you're joined by another su- survivor of the space station karth onasi who's a, a soldier and a pilot and so it's you and karth on terrace looking for bastila who also managed to escape to terrace for the the first real area of the game. So your, your thoughts on Revan, Malik, Terrace, Karth, any of this early stuff. <laughs> well, I liked Karth. I thought he could be a little distrusting, but it wasn't without reason when they go into his backstory more, but he was pretty interesting character. And the Revan and Malik stuff is just kind of neat to see explored more. 
Yeah, I uh, I mean, based on it's Star Wars, and I think that the opening section does a beautiful job of setting up a pretty classic Star Wars story. Like you start off with the the classic opening crawl and the and the John Williams score and everything, so you actually immediately get thrown into the world of Star Wars in a way that uh, is you you can't miss it. And then you start off with a pretty solid uh, space battle uh, above a planet, like that is a very well known star wars trope so instantly you feel at home in this universe if you have any familiarity with star wars whatsoever uh and then you get thrown down the planet and while we still haven't uh we still haven't met our like our third main character yet we can already start to see like the the trio that uh most star wars stories uh develop which is you know there's luke leia and han or uh obi-wan anakin and um oh amidala and uh, yeah, so right off the bat, we find ourselves in a situation with a, that we kind of recognize, but telling a whole new story. And I think that's a very smart way to go about it. Yeah, it definitely feels like you're in a Star Wars story when you are playing it right from the get-go. Yeah. Also, landing on a planet that wasn't, it would have been easy for them to start off with Tatooine or, or something like that, like a planet that we recognize, or Yavin, something we recognize from the original or I guess at this point, the prequel trilogy, because at this point, the first two prequels would have come out. But instead, they drop you on a planet of their own invention. So they get to create an entire world that is recognizably Star Wars, but is still their own. So it it, it sets it apart from other Star Wars stories while also uh, saying, you know, planting their flag and saying, we're doing something new here, but you'll still recognize it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am not the uh, greatest Star Wars scholar, but I, I believe that some of the planets here are Star Wars classics. Like, of course, Tatooine and Ka- and Kashyyyk um, showed up in the uh, in, in older Star Wars movies. Um, I, I think Dantooine is also in previous things. But... Never, it's never seen in the films. Dantooine is used as a red herring by Leia to... Uh, they ask her where the rebel base is, and she says Dantooine, and then they blow up Alderaan anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I but I believe that Terrace and Manan and and maybe others were the creation of Bioware here. So they were given at least a medium at least a medium amount of free reign in messing with the Star Wars mythos. Yeah, and the way they actually set up a lot of the different aspects of the society is quite interesting on Terrace. Yeah, uh, uh, Terrace is almost a layer cake of a planet with the with the surfaces of it being um uh, pretty clean and sparkling and populated by only the upper class. Then uh, one floor below them is sort of a lower class uh, where it's, you know, you know dense apartments, um, areas ruled sort of uh, uh, by gangs. Um, people on the surface tell you don't go low, don't go to the bottom. And then even below that, or maybe just adja- adjacent to, to the lower uh, layer, is an undercity that's basically just a trash heap full of, uh, full of outcasts that use the sewer system as, a, as sort of um, part of their st- stomping ground. So it's a... It, it's a very much sort of an, an upstairs downstairs kind of um, uh, uh, high society, low society area, and you navigate bo- um, both of those um, when looking for Bastila, and uh, you, you know, and along the way you, you visit um, both the classier and the and the dirtier cantinas, and not really directly related to, but you are uh, you're you become acquainted with the common slave trade that is a pro- that is an ongoing problem throughout the galaxy. Uh, you meet a couple huts that are running the gambling and and uh, and pit fighting and, and racing gigs on Terrace. 
Uh, one of my favorite scenes of the beginning of the game. Oh, well, you know, it is my favorite scene from the first couple hours of the game. You flirt with a with a Sith occupying uh, soldier, <laughs> and she invites you to a party, and everyone gets so drunk at the party that you're successfully able to steal some Sith uniforms that help you get around the the planet a little better. Uh, and, and that's that's a classic Bioware dialogue tree if I've ever heard one. Um, like, like oh, uh, there's a slightly flirty, slightly snappy dialogue that results in you getting to the next place. But but, but yeah, in gen- in general, Terrace feels like a sort of normal uh, city dominated kind of planet, but shows you the you know generally good choices slash generally bad choices that you can make in a uh, in in a or I should say generally evil choices that you can make in a uh, binary karmic system like in KOTOR, because we were talking about this before recording a little bit, that a lot of the morality choices in KOTOR result in side with the slavers or free the slaves or uh, resolve resolve this peacefully or resolve this with murder. And it's, it's there, there isn't a lot of morally gray uh, areas to explore. No, it's actually difficult to be a gray Jedi in this game, not the least of which is because uh, the vast majority, I'm jumping a tiny bit ahead here, but the vast majority of really, really powerful uh, force abilities are locked off behind either the light side or the good side or the, the dark side. So if you are playing as a gray Jedi, you're going to be locked off from, you know, some pretty cool stuff. I, I think you can use dark side powers as a light as, as a light Jedi and vice versa, but you can't unlock the highest tiers of them. Yeah, and, that's what I mean. And, and you will have huge energy penalties if you uh, if you try to use a dark side power as a light Jedi or vice versa, um, and and we'll talk about him later, but they do introduce a a somewhat gray Jedi character that joins your party, but he is first of all a total delight, and second of all, um, yes. and, and second of all, you can sort of nudge him towards the same side that you are on uh, as as he as you uh, you know uh, play with him throughout the game. Um, but uh, but back to Terrace, um, you um, you meet a young Twilight. Twi'lek woman named Mission Vow, who is sort of your starting scoundrel, and her Wookiee buddy Zalbar, who's your starting scout. And uh, they do the very frustrating thing of having Mission start out with a blade, even though she's much better with guns, and have Zalbar start out with a gun, even though he's much better with blades. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you should, you should have them switch weapons almost immediately after each of them join you. But after you, uh, uh, one of the gangs tells you that, that all right, if you're looking for Bastila, you have to infiltrate this base, and you need mission to do that. And when, when you meet mission, she's like, Zalbar has been captured by slavers. I'm only going to help you if you can help him first. So you know, again, this is very classic JRPG. Um, assemble the team kind of uh, get, get kind of plot plot points. And so we assemble the team, and uh, we have it eventually was your character, Karth, Mission, and Zalbar looking for Bastila, and you finally locate her as a uh like caged up next to some uh swoop races which again are a, a series of hover bike races like right have you you have to win one race to continue the story and once you do so uh bastila breaks out of prison on her own and e- even though she's a very very straight laced jedi type she immediately recognizes that what needs to be done and joins you so and you get your first jedi of a couple on your team but uh mission zalbar and bastila what, what do we think of them I've always liked Mission um, as a character, as a, like later we're going to get, we'll get, I suspect we'll get into her, uh, her side quest, but uh, I just like the character. I like the, the spunkiness and I like the fact that they have the kind of Han Chewy relationship going on. Yeah. Mission's pretty much a delight. Mm -hmm. I like her friendship with Big Z. (laughs) The Big Z. 
Yeah, I do too. Um, and Bastil is a Bastil is an interesting character because she starts out as very much the the worst of the Jedi of Jedi qualities, like the reason why people would hate Jedi's, just like the high minded, I'm slightly better than you are, uh, kind of mentality. And then as we get to know her better, obviously those walls get broken down, and she opens up to you, and she starts to realize that maybe things are a little bit more complicated in the universe than just being a, a paragon of the light side of the force. She's uptight and condescending, but very mission focused and not mission vow focused, like on her personal mission. Hey <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a mistake. And, and actually she has one great scene with mission. Uh, uh, the game does sort of side banter the way that a lot of Bioware games do, but there, but sometimes we'll go into cut scenes where the two characters accompanying with you, uh, accompanying you will have a back and forth. Uh, Bastila and Mission have one where Mission's like, "Hey, Bastila, you ever just like trip someone or or, or just push them just, just just for the fun of it?" And and Bastila's, Bastila's like, "Of course not. That would be irresponsible, and I'm the most responsible." But then Mission keeps goading her, and Bastila ends up just you know tripping Mission or <laughs> out of a, 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 out of spite, and then pretends nothing happened. Like 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 small interactions like that are, are done very well in this game. And I think um Audra mentioned before about going into Karth's backstory. And Jono mentioned uh, uh, missions, side quest. Every character in this game, or at least I think every character, I haven't done this for all of them yet. When they reach certain levels, or if they accompany you uh, for long enough, they they will have dialogue options that go into their backstory, and eventually unlock a side quest on on specific planets. If you if you've talked to them enough, that you know. Uh, get, just give you some extra story shine with each of these characters. I've I've unlocked them for. I think probably every character besides Candorous and your droids. Um, does T3M4 have a side quest? Please say yes. I I, I really hope he does. Even even though I have doubts. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, but uh, no. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was wondering if I missed something there, but no. Unfortunately, no. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I mean you, that's one of the things. Again, Star Wars. You there are certain things that you need in Star Wars, and you you do have your uh, your droids, but they are nice spins on the R two D two C three PO dynamics and roles. Yeah, I, I, and um, a lot of them are you know the kind of thing you'd expect out of a character focused side quest, like uh, uh, missions about her relationship with her brother, Bastille's about her relationship with her mom. Um, uh, uh, Jolie's is about uh, he's a we haven't mentioned him yet, but Jolie's is about uh, him trying to help an old friend from his um, from his his uh, adventuring days. Um, Zalbar has one that's really tied to the main story on Kashik. That, but I think after you finish Kashik, he gets his own sort of little side story. Karth's is about his relationship with his son. A lot, a lot of family side quests in this game. Um, but they're uh, they're all good and worth exploring, especially if you if you like a specific character, it only makes sense to definitely dive into their backstory. If for no other reason, that's just some extra rewards and experience points for your whole team. Yes, like Jahani, hers is awesome. I haven't. Oh, I don't think I've unlocked hers yet. But I I, I really I really like Jahani, so I, I do want to go into that. Uh, let, let, let's keep going after you rescue Bastila. Uh, there's a, a a mercenary named Candorus Ordo who you who you interact with a couple times who decide who realizes that uh, the planet is definitely going to be wiped out by the Sith. So he's willing. So he suggests to immediately join your team and ha- use his connections to get off the planet. Uh, the original Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, Mandalorians are a planet uh, 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 full of a very warlike people and you interact with several Mandalorians in this game, including, including Candorus. And they basically are, 
are are, are humanoid. So it's uh, you know it's unless someone tells you they're Mandalorian, it wasn't obvious to me that they're Mandalorian. And also yeah, because when the Republic the, the Republic and the Mandalorians got in a war, and then when the Republic won, uh, the Mandalorian they all their armor was destroyed. So you're not going to see a Boba Fett style. Uh, set of armor in this game maybe a few references in terms of masks of some enemies that you fight but like you're not going to see boba or the mandalorian in this yeah you will see armored mandalorians but not like the ceremonial mandalorian armor that we associate with uh with with the various fets or mandos of the world and, and but also in the in that same mission where uh Kander, you're cooperating with candorus to uh to lead, to go off planet you have to sneak into a sith uh outpost and recruit a uh, an astromech droid named T3M4 <laughs> to help you bust in. And 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 T, I, I, maybe this is droid racism on my part, but I used T3M4 heavily in that one dungeon to get around. And then I think he became he permanently retired to my to my base afterwards. And I just talked to him once in a while to get some free hacking uh, hacking spikes. <laughs> I think I used him once one other time on a different planet at the Sith Academy, but that He's... was about it. He's a he's a cute little droid, but there's a reason why R2 does not follow Luke and Han around on like directly behind them when they're fighting. Yeah, um, droids in this game use a different skill system than the human characters. They can only use blasters and are very limited to what skills and feats they can use. But uh, but they have a unique equipment and are kind of and are kind of cute and fun. But I I think that the 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 humanoid characters are significantly better than the droid characters in gameplay. I think so. Also, yes. slightly less pain in the butt because the way you heal them is a little different as well. That's right. Yeah, they they they, they you don't get healed by by meta packs or meta gels or whatever they are in this game. I, I forgot. I mean, if you have a choice, we'll talk about them a little bit later. Probably one of my favorite characters in the game is the other droid. Yes. Oh yes. No, we will talk about that droid. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, l- let's keep moving on so we can eventually get to that droid. Uh, uh, with the help of Candorus and T three M four, your whole team, which is I I guess seven people by now no, six people by now including you uh get no no seven yeah no 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 six yeah i forgot about uh i forgot about one character how dare i but you you finally get off world you steal a, a starship called the ebon hawk from a uh from a local kingpin and um and as you leave uh the sith completely wipe out terrace much to my chagrin, because I definitely didn't realize that Terrace would be inaccessible <laughs> after this. Um, I, I left a couple side quests uh, um, unfinished, um, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I won't lose sleep over it. Um, but the uh, neither will they, right? <laughs> and then, and, 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 and I guess the uh, the bounties that I was supposed to kill did end up uh, dying in their own way after all. But uh, but yeah, Terrace is uh, is completely wiped out just to demonstrate sort of the the power of the group you're going against and you get a very very insidious cutscene where with with Darth Malak saying very very evil things in 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 a vaguely threatening way to his own people uh and basically communicating very clearly that Malak is a bad bad dude that needs that is going to be your primary antagonist through the whole game but uh you you take the Ebon Hawk straight to Dantooine which is where Bastila wants to go to report to her Jedi bosses in doing so you know your your team chills out for a little bit, and both Basila and the and the Jedi there recognize that you, the player character, have are are the force is very very strong in you, and if you're taught Jedi powers, you could be a huge asset to the Jedi and Republican mission, which is um, you know, and and they, they there's some hesitancy because you know like Jedi are typically trained from a very young age, and if someone t- takes Jedi training too late, 
their emotions could get the better of them and they could fall to the dark side. So they're, they're very concerned about that. And, you know, uh, like uh, fans of the Star Wars greater universe will definitely uh, recognize that if they know a thing or two about what happens to Anakin Skywalker or various in or out of universe children of, of, uh, of Han Solo. <laughs> but the, uh, but, but there is some hand wringing and and some side and some uh, some fetch quest missions, including one where you have to solve a murder that I very enjoyed very much. Being a, the fan of detective fiction that I am, um, but you do eventually uh, you are granted Jedi training. You have to choose between uh, uh, classes and a second class change where you choose to be a uh, oh shoot I'm, I'm hoping I'm not getting these these classes wrong um, uh, a. A, a, a Jedi Knight, which is you know the the more fo- which is like a soldier, more combat focused. A Jedi Sentinel, which is more of an in between and defense focused, or a Jedi Consular, which is about getting as many Force powers as possible. It, it's 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 a little bit fighter, rogue, mage, but not uh, but but you know a Star Wars flavored version of that. And uh, this time around, I went Jedi Knight because playing on Terrace, where I where I where I was you know using two blades all the time anyway. And just, I wanted the fantasy of being a lightsaber, dipsy do dasher kind of character. And that's exactly what I've been the entire rest of the game. So I, I started out as a scout and then went Jedi Knight. I went Consular. I did as well. So, so John, John, you must have been drowning in skill points by the end of the game. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, in most RPGs, I find, especially in this one, uh, there's a lot of story that's locked behind dialogue options and persuasion checks and things like that. Um, so throwing most of my abilities into that, even if it does weaken me somewhat, uh, is is usually the direction I go um, because I want to see everything and I want to see kind of I want to say yeah. There's, usually dialogue options kind of go like you provide you you offer them a very reasonable option in my mind. And if you fail to check, they attack you with a lightsaber and you have to kill them, which is not really all that light side. In fact, there's a lot of, there's a lot of behavior in this that lightsiders would go like, huh, you probably didn't need to kill all those people. Um, And sometimes using persuasion checks, if you use the force to, to coerce someone, sometimes that is, that that does give you some dark side points because it's, uh, it's, uh, forcing yeah, like, yourself yeah, yeah. but in, in general i wanted to persuade when i could but i also wanted lightsaber abilities so mm. i basically put points into persuade whenever i'm allowed to but in general favor learning more uh lightsaber and uh feats because i, I made some poor decisions with feats earlier in the game i i think i made a good choice picking scout as my starting class i don't mind that but i put points into heavy armor without realizing that you can't use lightsaber skills unless you're wearing jedi robes or, or, or you can't use force powers unless you have Jedi robes. And I put uh, points into, if oh shoot, in, into things like, um, like I, I thought maybe I could wield a sword and a blaster when really that's not very good or fun. So I put like points into into melee weapons and blasters when I really shouldn't have. Like there's two or three feet points I wish I could have back <laughs> but so so and and I uh, and I realized that fairly early so I made the choice to um to pick Jedi Knight for my class thinking I want lightsaber skills I made some decisions I'm going to pick the class that gives me as many feats as possible but uh, but I still can use some force powers like in like uh, some of which are completely crucial to my uh to my strategy like uh like, like master speed which is amazing which and, is necessary yeah actually. and uh 
and, and, uh, and, uh, oh shoot, a couple, uh, I, I usually I will put let... a lot of points into healing. I, I, I did, I have some points into healing, but really what I do most of the time is, is let, uh, Jolie or, uh, or Juhani do the healing and I just be able to have mass, just, I'm always putting on my Jedi speed as, as whenever I can. And one of the Jedi and, and also force resistance for when I'm fighting Sith. Uh, uh-huh. So like like I'll usually just throw on force resistance, master speed, and like one other shield, uh, shield force power, and then start you know um, like like carving up stakes as a uh, as a, huh. as as a, as a Jedi Knight, and I am generally having a good time doing that. Uh, but, but let's go into the combat a little bit. Um, it, it, the combat is surprisingly tactical for being an action RPG of this ilk, uh, because a lot of things are governed by dice rolls. When you're having a shootout, uh, like you, you, both you and the enemies will be will have aim about as good as a movie stormtrooper. So like, so so doing mm-hmm. things like yes. po- like like positioning your characters uh, uh, is really crucial. Like when a battle would start, it would depend on who I have in my lineup. But if I have a, a mission on my team, because she's a scoundrel, she gets a bunch of points into dealing uh, damage from the side or rear. So like, I'll engage the enemy, move my character who's melee like right in the enemy's face, then switch to mission, have her manually move her to behind some enemies so she can start shooting them from behind then manually switch to let's say karth and have him move a little closer because you get like you get a double hit rate when you're within half of your uh, of your attack range with a blaster and karth is extremely good at just being a dual blaster cowboy so like i'll, I'll spend the beginning of a fight i moving my player characters into ideal positions then switching to my main character and start using force powers when appropriate but, but mostly just like zoom from enemy to enemy with my with force jumps and master speed. Um, yeah, I, I think the combat can be a little bit like you'll die unexpectedly until you sort of have a grasp of what to do. Yeah, I but, died a lot first. My first playthrough, I died a lot in the first like quarter of the game. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I think I died more in Terrace than I have in the the subsequent four next planets that I've been on. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I think I'm I'm on Manan now. So uh, and you can do a couple planets in any order. But I, yeah, I think I'm I think I'm on. Counting Terrace, I'm on my fifth planet right now, and and I died in Terrace by far the most. But but you just, you just need sort of need to have a grasp of positioning and what you can survive and what you can't survive before you really start winning all the time in combat. And and, and it's reached the point where I'm concerned. I'm 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 almost worried. I'm it's too easy, and maybe I should switch to hard mode or something. But uh, it, 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 there's a learning curve here to figure out the combat. Yeah. No, I agree. It's a it's an interesting mix of action RPG and kind of turn based RPG because you can freeze at any time and assign uh, specific actions from all of your characters to uh, the enemy characters, uh, which is a nice touch. Um, I and it, but it's always very very uh, action filled, fun to watch, especially if you are uh, a Jedi who is fighting another Force user because you get your own little lightsaber battle. And like it will be an actual lightsaber battle where they'll they'll block and parry and fight, and that's that's always fun to watch. And obviously, you get the the usual sound effects. Can everyone do their favorite their their best lightsaber their best lightsaber sound effect? I'm curious. Mine is mine. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, I'll, I'll give me a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't too good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Slosi and I having a little lightsaber battle. Right also, there's one skill, or I guess it's a feat 
that's um uh that's lightsaber deflection I, I maybe only jedi knights get it but putting points in it um gives you a bunch of extra saving rolls or evasion against blasters if you have a lightsaber equipped and uh if you have at least one point into that in battle if enemy if you have a lightsaber and enemies are attacking you with blasters it will po- take po- it will occasionally in action will you'll see your jedi knight deflecting lights uh like blaster shots with your lightsaber and like, like moments like that and the uh and of course the lightsaber battles themselves or even just the uh the tr- the drama of making a huge gesture with one with an open palm to shove a bunch of enemies away or stun them it, it's it, it's very fun and satisfying having the star wars fantasy play out in combat in, in a in, in a pretty satisfying visual uh effect I think uh, personally, I found the moment where I started uh, getting better at combat is when I started using a lot of. Uh, I started buffing my characters before. Like if if you're standing outside of a door in like a Sith uh, stronghold, it's a fairly good idea just to like buff your characters before you barge in. But then also using status effects on enemies is a key part of success in this game. And there's like tons of them. You can you know freeze them in place. You can push them back. Uh, my favorite is the uh, whirlwind where you can oh, yeah, the like tornado. <laughs> the tornado where you can put them in a whirlwind and the character is just like lifted off the ground and is like swirling around. I, I don't um, think I have that on my main character because again, again, as a uh, as a Jedi Knight, I don't have a lot of points to put into Force powers. But I gave mm-hmm. the whirlwind to Bastila, Jolie, and Juhani, so that it happens all the time in battle. And whenever I get yep. a free whirlwind to to cut up with my lightsaber, I'm like, all right, thanks, bro, and and then go to town. Yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, the <laughs> moment I started using those powers is the moment where I stopped dying as often because otherwise yeah. I was just like running into battle screaming with lightsabers, which is fun, <laughs> but turns out it's not that smart. I uh, Yeah, again, I think going into battle screaming with lightsabers is possible if you buff yourself up with, uh, with the speed and the shield um, force powers, which is what I do a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. keeping in mind positioning and status effects is really valuable. So like s- similar to what you said, like, right before battle or right at the start of battle like take a minute see what you're fighting maybe position your uh have your allies reposition themselves a little bit and then go to town as a as a you know a, 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 a like a, a dual wielding lightsaber dance of death like don't do that second not right away and and maybe don't put points into heavy armor if you intend to be a lightsaber user later in the game <laughs> but yeah uh, again that's 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 a mistake that i made but um going back to the events on Dantooine, you make the Jedi class change. And I think that your total level cannot exceed 20. If, if, if I'm correct. So, uh, it, uh, I ended, I got, I got to my Jedi class change as a scout level eight. And I think that means I cannot, uh, I'm going to be capped at, uh, at Jedi or Jedi Knight level 12, but with my total character level being those two added together. So, a lot of guides, if you check online, which I did a little bit, but not not uh, hugely in this game, will recommend, oh yeah, stop leveling up your starting class at four so you can get 16 points in your in your force class, like th- things like that. I didn't do any of that. I just sort of played through the game and leveled up whenever I could because I like leveling up in RPGs. But mm, uh, I, I think that's foreknowledge. Like I would, yeah. I specifically avoided leveling and using uh, points as best I could um, because I knew what was coming later on. It, I, I, did, I knew there was... I knew that you could become a Jedi later because of uh, just discussion I had around this game for, you know, for not playing it for 18 or 19 years. Um, But uh, so I knew a little bit about that, but not, not really the nitty gritty. And, and, and maybe I would have 
tried to cap my scout levels at five or six if I knew better, but I, I did not know better. Uh, I, I hope that doesn't lock I didn't know better either. Yeah, I hope that doesn't lock me away from anything I really want later in the game. But so far, so far, it's been fine. I, I again, my own, my, my biggest regrets are putting uh, points into feats that would be useless for my later uh, gameplay choices. But um, let's go back to Dantooine. After you make that Jedi class change, uh, one of the tasks on the way to that is um, is dealing with a Jedi apprentice that has fallen into despair. And we've mentioned her a couple times already, Juhani. Yes. Uh, she is a Padawan, so like a, Je- a very young Jedi in training. She's she's probably in her late teens, early twenties, but she uh, uh, killed her master in in a, in a fit of rage because the master was pushing her in training very very hard, and realized realizing that she had fallen to the dark side, she isolated herself and decided to be a hermit for the rest of her life. And uh, and amusingly, um, the Jedi people like your your instructions are to deal with her. And so you end up with her in a duel, and uh, and the duel ends when she gets to low health, and you can choose to spare her or kill her. And obviously, the light side choice is to spare her, the dark side choice is to kill her. And if you spare her, which I think all three of us did because all three of us went light side, um, the Jedi Masters are like she didn't she she touched the dark side, but she hadn't really fallen. She does not want to fall to the dark side, and was and was self flagellating a little bit to. Because she's a good person who feels who who you know was feeling shame and despair, and her she's a teenager. Yeah, she didn't even kill her master. Master, she just badly wounded her master, and her master's in recovery right now. So, like when you tell Jahani all this, she'll happily join your party. But I I did some reading. If you kill her, it turns out uh, Jahani, who prefers the company of women, has an ex girlfriend on the base that will leave the base and fall to the dark side if and and, and if you uh, if you kill Juhani in this early mission and uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know all the details but later when you're fighting a bunch of sith at once um Juhani's ex-girlfriend will be among them uh oh wow I, and i forget her name but she's she's in the base as someone you can talk to she is she kind of she's very rude when you first run into her and she, right. she mistakes you for a jedi she's like where are your robes <laughs> You're like, uh, uh, huh? And then there's a lot of decision-making in this game. Like, a, a lot of dark side choices will alienate you to people or have you kill people, but then the, you'll there will be repercussions for that later, typically. Well, if you choose light side, you're always going to be making the obviously good decision, but there will be few surprise repercussions and, and, and uh, fewer ways to break the game world. So if you're a fan of just playing the most chaotic RPG run possible, you probably want to go more dark than light. But I think I, I went light side... Because I, I, I usually for games like this, including games like Mass Effect, and Inf- and even Infamous, which has a, which has a, a very binary morality system, I almost always pick the good guy route first. And if I really like the game and want to replay it later, which was the case for Infamous and Mass Effect, I'll do Dark Side just to see what just to see what kind of nonsense can happen if I make a lot of evil choices. And and that that'll be my case here. If I want to replay this game later, which is which may happen because I'm really enjoying it. It, it would be dark side, and I would go in probably with with uh, with zero scruples. But right now, I, I want to play as a good guy Jedi. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Oh, I, I can every do single it. time. I can do it. I, I tried. It's just I, hard. Yeah, especially later in the game. With no spoilers, Slosi, But later in the game, some of the choices become like so cartoonishly over the top <laughs> evil. Like it's I'm ju- it's jaw droppingly hilarious. Now um, jaw dropping just... hilarious and in a safe space of a video game where I'm not actually committing atrocities is exactly when I want to commit atrocities. So yeah, but it feels I, I, they're, I, I, they're so over the top it feels like you're committing an atrocity, especially in one specific case. 
Yes. Right right now, I want to play light side because that feels like the most normal RPG story. Like that, like it, it feels like this game feels like they want you to be a light Jedi f- to get to get to this the kind of story they want to tell. And that, that's how it feels like to me. But again, I I know I would have fun going back and just being the 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 most rancid asshole possible. I, I like I, but again, I, I generally don't mind doing those, but I always want to do a good route run first. And that, that's what I'm doing yeah. for now. See, I've, that's probably my biggest problem with the star Wars universe uh, is the fall to the dark side, because I guess it's because they don't really have a whole lot of time to tell the story, but it always seems like the fall to the dark side is they get angry once and then they're evil now. And then yeah. they go to the Jedi temple and, murder children um and this game does it too and i have to admit i've always been a little bit like if, if it's that easy to fall to the dark side that's one thing in the novels that's a little bit better is falls to the dark side are more uh, a series of compromises that you make or choices that slowly lead you into making more dark choices rather than just being like oh thank you for saving me from that bounty hunter and you're just like Ah, no need to thank me. Give me all your money or I'll murder you now. Yeah, again, I I was making fun of people uh, trying to hand wave this earlier in this episode. But like, I I think that you don't I don't want to put too much nuance onto the dark side versus light side. But like, I think that a more interesting Sith character would be someone who's basically a normal or pragmatic person, but did something like fall in love or 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 refuse to conform to the to the more rigid parts of Jedi uh, of, of of the Jedi Order that that makes that makes that person unable to be a Jedi like that kind of character. Yeah, they're gray Jedi's yeah. in the they're, in the extended universe. They're gray Jedi's, and there's a number of them, especially in uh, in the future. There's like uh, I think it's Star Wars was it Legacy. There was a comic book series where there's an entirely other uh, group of Force wielders who are light side users technically, but they don't view the force as like a mystical force. They view it as a tool, much like the Sith. They're called Imperial Knights. That's um, see that that's not bad to me, but they do not exist in KOTOR. Um, no, they don't. And, but, and uh, I don't want this episode to be two and a half hours. So we're going to, uh, we're going to move on. Um, at, like after you, uh, you saved Juhani and you get your Jedi class change, you're asked to investigate an abandoned temple that was in, uh, investigated several years earlier by Revan and Malak. And uh, and again, Bastila's mission is to take down Malak. There might be clues in that temple. So you go to that temple. Uh, some ancient droid built by a civilization called the Builders makes you perform a, a, a task for them. And you find uh, an item called a star map, which again is a basically a puzzle piece to a larger map that leads to something called the Star Forge. And whatever is up with the Star Forge is what led Revan and Malak to fall to the dark side and also... And also because I mean, Forge is right in the name there. There, uh, you assume that it, the Star Forge is some means to create a bunch of battleships at once, or a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of armaments at once. It's like a, a mass-produced assembly line. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like some kind of force-powered, uh, ass- like um, mass starship factory. And uh, and like you're making some assumptions here, but uh, your whole team is like, well, we need to get to the Star Forge because that'll be the key to stopping Malak. And uh, the, and the, the Star Forge on Dantooine gives clues to where four other star maps are. Or I should say the star map on Dan- Dantooine gives clues to where other maps are. And they are on Tatooine, Kashyyyk, Manan, and Korriban. And at this point in the game, you can visit any of those four planets or return to Dat- Dantooine at your own leisure. 
Yeah, and there, what I love about this section is, it, I mean, it's completely nonlinear in the sense that you can just go to any of these planets uh, and experience it as you want. But also, uh, each one of these planets is very different, completely different, uh, uh, like environment. Culture and... Culture, there's different races, and there are very different kinds of quests that you get to do on each one of these planets. None of them uh, are copies of each other. So, like, if you go to Tatooine, for example, you're going to be dealing with, like... Uh, the Sand People, and uh, you're going to be going around to dealing with crime lords and stuff, If you're in, and hunters. If you go to uh, Manon, you're going to be dealing with lots of bureaucracy, and uh, you're going to be playing uh, Star Wars Ace Attorney. And uh, Yeah, that's that's where I am right now. I'm, I'm on Manon, which, whose hub city is very large, and I'm, so I'm, I'm just exploring all the nooks and crannies of that hub city. But Manon is, a, uh, is an, a, an aggressively neutral planet that has sort of uh, embassies from both the Republic and the Sith that are not allowed to fight because if, if anyone fights, they'll be expelled and Manon's very valuable trade will go to the, op- will go to the opposition. But, but, uh, but the, the, the Republic and the Sith are openly hiring mercenaries in the, in, in, in the Manon marketplace and having them go off planet. So like it's, it's a, it's a planet that's drowning in diplomacy and, bur- and bureaucracy, but is a, but is a, an interesting change from Tatooine which is a, you know, like uh, uh, Jono says, has hunters and smugglers. And I, what's the name of, of the of the corporation that does a lot of business on Tatooine and Kashyyyk? Zerka? Zerka? Yeah. That, yeah. Zerka, yeah. yeah. Zerka Corporation, which has a lot of That's ties right. with uh, the Sith Empire. Yeah, yeah. Again, and the Zerka are slavers and smugglers and legit, and occasionally legitimate uh, a legitimate business. And you have to deal with them on Tatooine and Kashyyyk. They're, they're, uh, the Wookiees are heavily oppressed and enslaved on Kashyyyk and uh, a local Wookiee chieftain Zal- who's Zalbar's brother is selling out his people to the Zerka corporation without the, with, uh, without the people's knowledge. And in the Kashyyyk storyline, you uh, have to sort of uh, challenge that uh, leader, have, um, have Zalbar reconnect with his estranged father, then choose to either side with Zalbar's brother or Zalbar's father. Again, this is a very obvious case of do you save the slaves or do you enslave more slaves? <laughs> for a dark side for a light side dark side choice uh and then and and uh, and you and you get a ceremonial sword for zalbar as a reward at the end which of course i i you know i use zalbar a non-trivial amount in this game even though he's basically a melee character without jedi powers because he's his strength stat is so high that he'll do pretty effective damage and he has a bunch of scout points that you can, so he can be your demolitions or or uh, or hacking guy very easily uh he, like, like even though Vow, uh, Mission, and Zalbar and Karth don't have any Jedi powers, they're pretty useful characters throughout the game. Yeah. Even even though even though like Karth is basically just pew 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 only, he's extremely good at being pew 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 only. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my main party is always usually Karth and Jahani, actually. Mine is usually uh, uh, Jolie, my favorite character, who we'll talk about very soon, and either Mission or Zalbar for uh, uh, for extra damage and uh, and you know uh, hacking and and uh, and demolitions repair stuff. But um, on Kashyyyk, you do meet Jolie Bindo, a uh, a crusty former Jedi who's been stranded on in the jungles of Kashyyyk for a long time, and he openly complains about his age. Is he's he definitely doesn't like the Sith, but is also he also thinks that. Uh, that the Jedi themselves are too stuffy and bureaucratic. 
he's he's definitely has some Danny Glover in the Lethal Weapon movies kind of vibe because he's old, he's getting too old for this stuff. Keeping it PG thirteen, uh, but uh, and but also he's a consular that has a that has a bunch of force powers. So I would have him in the back of my party just to heal us and to throw Jedi to throw force tornadoes around. I I, I love Jolie. He's he's my favorite side character in the game. Yeah, he's he's a delight. Especially we were talking earlier how uh, if you use uh, force persuade on some characters, it can give you dark side points. But my favorite thing is when you use it on some characters and you complete a side quest and you use a force persuade to be like, I think you should give me a little bit more money. Sometimes Jolie will be like, Oh, is that how we're supposed to use the force? Mm-hmm. Oh, and just, it's kind of like just sassy as hell. It's yeah. Great. And, and, uh, Bastila might react to that as like, how dare you do this to this person? And Joe and Jolie's like, yeah, baby. Like he, like he's, uh, Jolie is very funny. And sometimes when I'm like rolling my eyes at Je- Jedi Sith things, uh, he, Jolie will do the thing where I, I don't know the thing that happens all the time in Yakuza games where he will say the exact thing that I am thinking at the moment <laughs> yeah. for like, like what is this video game BS that's happening in front of me? Then Jolie will make the exact right comment for the situation. It's, it's, it's great. And also he's a valuable sort of mage kind of character. So I had him around a lot. Um, my favorite characters to use in this game are like having either Jolie or Juhani and then one of the, and then either mission or Zalbar to do rogue stuff. Or if I wanted to just have the best battle party possible, it would be probably me, Juhani and Jolie. Uh, uh, Bastila is like an in-between version of both of them. Cause again, Juhani is a Jedi Knight. Bastila is a Jedi Sentinel, which is the in-betweener uh, class. And Jolie is a consular. Uh, but I, yeah, all the characters in this, in this game are, are at least unique and fun in their ways. The, the one I care for the least is probably Candorus or- Ordo, because he's basically just a soldier jerk who favors the dark side more than the light side. And uh, I don't think he deals as much damage as Karth does, so that doesn't endear me to him to a gameplay perspective. And he's basically just a... He's just like a mean middle-aged soldier, and I, I don't I don't necessarily need that in my life. Yeah, if I want yeah, a middle... If I want, a re- if I want someone who likes killing... And likes using a blaster. Oh, baby. I'm not choosing him. Oh, baby. I'm choosing HK-47. Oh, yeah. Uh, HK-47 is a battle droid that you meet on Tatooine, where he is a uh, he is an android that's fallen into disrepair, and you can buy him. And then once you do buy him, uh, HK-47, is he's like an older model of droid. He refers to organic life forms as meat bags. He's, he's like a C-3PO as a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah, he has probably the best in battle commentary when you're attacking enemies, and he... <laughs> and it's great when you try to do the peaceful solution. <laughs> yeah, he, he does not enjoy peaceful solutions when there is a uh, eliminating meatbag solution available. Mm. Uh, but and, and but also, I, I think he's a little annoying from a gameplay perspective because he has high toughness and strength. When if you use blasters and not melee weapons, you want high dexterity and not strength. So like mm-hmm. if if those stats were flipped for him, I would like him more. But instead, he feels it, it's kind of like how Mission and Zalbar had the wrong weapons equipped to start. Except you're not allowed to switch weapon types <laughs> with HK-47. Um, but it's, yeah, it, so that was an odd choice. But I but from a a, a flavor and dialogue standpoint, HK-47 is probably my favorite character in the non-Jolie division. That was infinitely delightful in every interaction you have, and it's it's interesting that although none of these characters, at least at least not yet, at least not until they remake the game, uh, have made the jump to the Disney version. Uh, I guess in, I guess one of the, the best characters to come out of the Disney era uh, has been inspired by HK-47, and that's a character called Triple Zero, 
who is literally just, well, exactly that C-3PO, but a psychopath and is designed for, uh, what's the, uh, a protocol droid specializing in etiquette, customs, translation, and torture, (laughs) and holds, holds much the same opinion as 47, uh, in terms of killing the meat bags. Um, so yeah, the, the character is just so entertaining and, and fun to talk to. Um, and some interesting lore there as well. Um, yeah, my, it's my, probably my, probably the last character you're going to get, at least the last character I got. I actually got Jolie last. I got Jolie yeah. last as well, but I think I think that's just because I did Kashuk after Tatooine. Um, so it's it's basically which of those planets do you do first is yeah. will determine which order they join. But uh, I, I I think to unlock um, it, it extra dialogue and character quests with HK, you have to repair him. And my repair score isn't high enough again, because I, and, and I don't know if it'll ever get high enough because I'm at a, uh, because I went with Jedi Knight instead of, um, instead of Sentinel or, uh, or consular. So I don't, I don't know how deep I'll be able to get into that, but, uh, I, I am, I am amused every time I fail the repair check on HK 47, he's very alarmed and, and, and is, uh, and like feels visibly, visibly, visibly hurt. Like, something like ah deeply pained why please refrain from doing this again unless you're sure you will succeed like it's it's and yeah he also he recites an adjective for his emotional tone before speaking which is again very a a very amusing bit of flavor but uh, again but it's a bioware game so you can at least count it on it having some pretty good character writing throughout i i mean i again i've played something like eight bioware games and i'd have to go into my head for a deeper count um and i think there's at least one character i just love having around in each of them and uh, and and for this game it's it's jolie and hk and and to a lesser extent the other seven but yeah this is this is a game with great characters yeah i love the main party in it yeah i don't think there's a real maybe ordo aside from that i don't feel like there's a real miss in the party in terms of characterization or not enjoying them they I all develop like really his nicely. lore that he adds to it too his war stories. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned that Kandorus Ordo is probably my least favorite and that T3M4 is almost a non-character, but they do have interact interesting dialogue and interactions throughout. So like even even like finishing ninth out of nine is still pretty good for this game. So right, that's the middle part of the game. You can choose between these four planets and then you move into an end game phase that I'm not aware of yet because I'm in, I'm in the middle of the Manan stuff. Uh, the, the one planet that we haven't really brought up is Korriban, and I know that is a... Uh, that planet has a harsh environment and has a very large Sith presence. I, I think, uh, I think Audrey, you mentioned the Sith Academy, and that's where that is. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've not set foot on Korriban yet, but uh, we'll, so let's save that for the next episode. Um, by then, I will have finished the game, and we can talk about Korriban and the end game. Before we move into housekeeping, do one final thing uh, to talk about the second half of the game with the context of me not having played it yet. I should mention there is a very famous celebrated twist in Knights of the Old Republic that takes place in the second half. And I know what the twist is. So I, I went I, I, before I even started playing it, because, again, this twist is so well known. I heard about it probably a year or two after KOTOR was released. So I, I knew the twist going in and I've avoided talking about it until now. And we won't go into it in detail until the next episode. But so I'm going to try and figure out what the end game might have in store in that context of the twist, I, here's what I think is going to happen. After you go to go somewhere to find the Star Forge, you learn that the builders that made the Star Forge were actually like ancient Sith and totally dark side. And if someone finds this, 
the the Star Forge. They're overwhelmed with dark side powers and can uh, and and will turn people to the dark. And that's what happened to Revan and Malak. Is I believe what is going on. Like like the, the builders were ancient Sith. The Star Forge will turn people to the dark side as well as build uh, an, an empire. And uh, and as the player character, you can resist that or succumb to the dark to the dark side as you like. That's probably what also happened to uh, uh, Karth's old friend Saul, who was again Karth's best friend, who is now like the lead commander of of the of the non of the non Sith uh, forces of the Sith. So, so like Saul is obviously evil now, but how could that change happen so rapidly? My guess is the Star Forge. So that is what I think part of the second half of KOTOR is going to be. But uh, but I w- with the knowledge that I know what the big uh, twist is <laughs> go, go, going mm. in. Um, so that, uh, and you don't, don't give me an affirmative or, or negative answer, but it, am I dancing around it at least? You're in the ballpark. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yes. It's throughout the full first part of the game, but still is constantly saying things like, will you kindly look for the star forge or would you, Oh, so is this, is this a, Bi- a Bioshock twist? <laughs> it's about the same as a Bioshock twist. Okay. The level is a Bioshock twist. Because I mean, I mean, uh, like would you kindly is literally the the, the trigger phrase in bioshock all right all right cool uh spoilers, um, spoilers for a 2007 uh uh vaguely rpg action shooter game i mean the i would say the twist in this game is about the same as the level of uh darth vader's twist in uh, empire like it's it's really well executed um and in fact not going to without spoiling the twist for listeners and things like that there's even a same kind of thing where you get like flashbacks to earlier in the game uh, where you see like all of the clues that have been placed there in front of you and you get to put together. Knowing what most of the twist is, I have been noticing these breadcrumbs because the, the player character has visions that Bastil is also able to see about her battle with, uh, with um, Revan and Malik. So uh, like I, I, again, I know what the twist is. I'm noticing breadcrumbs. I shouldn't notice because I know what the twist is, but it is pretty well executed. I'm, I'm excited to see exactly how it uh, how it takes place. In fact, mm-hmm. well, you will very soon. All right, but um, that will unfortunately have to wait until next week. Next week we are going to have our second Star Wars Knights of the Republic episode, where we will discuss that twist and the rest of the end game of this very very good action RPG. Again, I, I don't know how my tone has come across this episode. But I am really enjoying uh, the first half of KOTOR, and we'll definitely see it through all the way to the end. Uh, and you can follow me on social media to, to probably find the very hour that I finish the game. But um, before we share social media, uh, listeners, let's tell you about uh, what's happening for the next month or so of Retro Encounter. Um, in March, we are d- celebrating Metroidvania Month. We're going to have three episodes on specific Metroidvania games, one game per episode. First, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow. Second, Super Metroid, stepping outside our RPG fan boundaries a little bit there. And last, Salt and Sanctuary. That's the two halves of the Castle of the Metroid, the Castle Troid or Metroidvania Portmanteau, plus one indie Metroidvania of the 2010s because the 2010s had a sort of a minor boom of indie Metroidvania games. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to playing a couple of those. I, I'm not going to be on every episode in the end, uh, but, and I'll, I don't think anyone's going to be on all three, but it's going to be a lot of fun discussing all three of those games next month. 
But if you want to um, discuss those three games or KOTOR or anything we've done in the past, present, or future, you can email retro at rpgfan.com, comment on RPG fans' message boards that barely exist, visit our Facebook page, which is quite thriving, or our Discord, Twitch channel, Twitter, uh, uh, our Twitter page. All of those doing great. All of those vi- uh, worth visiting. Please interact with RPG fan however you choose to. There are also three other fine podcasts uh, hosted or promoted by RPG fan, starting with Random Encounter, hosted every two weeks by you, Jono. Hello. Yes, that's mine. We had a we had a fun episode last week where we talked about the new Pokemon game. Oh yeah, uh, Legend uh, Legends of Arceus, right? Yeah, Pokemon Ar- Ar- Arceus. It's, Actually, we had a conversation about the pronunciation, whether or not it's, it's Arceus or Arceus or Arceus. It, there's a number of ways it's. Been I'm, pronounced I'm, I'm sure past. that is possible, but again, again, I assume the eus suffix is because like like it's like it's like Zeus or Deus, which is you know the, in, indicating God because it is the God Pokemon of Gen Four, and then uh, you know Ce communicates to me a a soft C, so Arceus is how I've always said it, or maybe maybe Arceus is is more appropriate. But again, I haven't listened to that episode yet, but I probably will by the time this one goes up. But uh, there's also Rhythm Encounter on RPG Fan, which is about RPG music. Jono, uh, Audra, and I have a, I have all appeared on that one at some point. Or Audra, I know you haven't yet, but you are scheduled to make your Rhythm Encounter debut soon. Is that correct? Yes, I'm going to be in the Valentine's Day one. Excellent. And yes. uh, spoiler alert: I'm pretty sure that episode is going to go up at or near Valentine's Day. So, yes. <laughs> so, uh, and there's also Phoenix Edge, which is uh, hosted by Hat and Eric, usually on YouTube, usually live, but they are currently on hiatus to appear to reappear later in 2022. Please listen to all three of those podcasts and Retro Encounter at your leisure. Leave feedback. We love feedback, uh, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, um, a proprietary podca- uh, podcasting app. Listen to us however you prefer. Uh, and also interact with us individually however you prefer via our uh, individual social medias. Let's share those with you, the listener, starting with us, the panel, Jono. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jono underscore Logan, or you can send me an email at Logan at rpgfan.com, or if you have something for Random Encounter, you can send it to podcast at rpgfan.com. Excellent. Now, Audra. Audra B at rpgfan.com. I just have an email. I barely check my RPG fan email, but I do check retro at RPG fan uh, multiple times a week. So you can uh, contact me that way or through my Twitter account at Thrill Monsoon most of the time at Evoker for Dogs other times. I am on those all the time. I don't recommend swimming in the poisoned pool that is Twitter, but I am I am trapped and cannot escape. You can also find me on the RPG fan Discord as Monsoon Mike. So uh, I'm really excited to get back to playing this. That will probably happen within hours of us stopping this recording. Um, But until next time, listeners, thank you, good night, good luck, and may the force be with you.